Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise and adore you for all of the rich gifts of our salvation that we've already tasted today. We pray now that you would pour out your Spirit on the reading and preaching of your Word, that we would not only hear your Word today clearly, but that we would respond to it with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church. It's so great to see all of you here on what is the first Sunday of Advent, and it is also, you may not know, the first day of the year. So, Happy New Year. Um, Christians are strange for a lot of reasons. They should be, at least. Um, And one of the reasons why followers of Jesus have been strange for a long time is that at least for about the last 16, 1700 years, Christians in the West have used a different calendar to organize their months, to organize their year. And so you can see from this calendar that we've created for ourselves that um, we begin our year in Advent, which celebrates the anticipation of Jesus. And then we move into Christmas, which is about the incarnation of Jesus. Then we move into Epiphany, which is about the revelation of God through Jesus and his miracles. And then we move on to Lent, which is about the crucifixion of Jesus. And then Easter, which is about the resurrection, and then Pentecost, which is about his ascension, and we spend the rest of the year meditating on that story. And so Christians have always been strange, and that instead of organizing our year around events like, you know, New Year's Day, and Valentine's Day, and spring break, and summer break, and Halloween, and Black Friday, and Christmas craziness, you know, instead, we have sought to arrange and organize our days around a different story. A different set of events, namely the events of the birth, death, life, birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. We tell our story through the person of Jesus. Does that make sense? And that makes us weird. It should feel weird. It should feel weird even as you come into the sanctuary today because it just feels a little weird, right? Like as the society around us is amping up, you know, with Christmas and Santa Claus and peppermint dark mocha lattes at Starbucks and, you know, all the rest around us, we come into here and it feels just a little different. It feels like we're kind of amping down a little bit, that whereas the world around us is adorned with reds and greens, we're here, sanctuary is clothed in purple, which is a color of mourning and repentance, anticipating the, the royal king to come. You know, whereas... You can't turn on any radio station without hearing songs about Christmas cheer and Santa Claus and decking the halls. Like, we're coming in here and singing strange songs of lament and longing, like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns and lonely exile here. It should feel weird because we are people who are weird. We are people who are not at home in this place, and we organize our lives around a different story. Now, to to study this story together or to go into this season of Advent together, we're doing this sermon series in December that we're calling Let Heaven and Nature Sing. Now, what we're doing is we're taking some of the great famous hymns and songs of Advent and Christmas, and we're going to kind of do a deep dive into these songs and look at the biblical roots behind them, look at the rich theology behind them, so that uh, we can sing them with greater love and a greater heart. You know, I was uh, at the Verizon store a couple weeks ago because my phone broke and I was trying to figure out what to do. And I was talking to this nice lady across from me and suddenly 
I heard the most astounding words being spoken out of the speakers in this Verizon store. I heard this, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, please as man with us as well, Jesus our Emmanuel. I heard those words in the Verizon store and I looked around and nobody was doing anything. Right? Like, no one was shocked. No one was jumping up and down. I looked across from the lady who was this very lovely Hindu woman, and she, I said, did you hear that? She said, hear what? <laughs> That's the problem with these songs, is that we've heard them so many times and so many times that they've become like furniture in our brains. They've become like old art on the walls that we don't even see anymore. And yet these songs are just poetically packed with this incredible rich theology and, and what we want to do in this season is to go deep into them, to hear them freshly, so that we can sing them with all of our hearts. And the resource that we're going to be using to do that, drum roll, please, is this new hymnal that, we all, that is now in our pews. Lift up your hearts. So pull it out. Pull out the hymnal. We're, we're, we're bringing hymnals back. We're making them cool again. Uh, you know, by the, by the end of, oh, Monica Murphy's happy about that, I can see. You know, by the end of this month, you are going to love this hymnal. You're going to want to carry it around with you. You're going to sleep with it on your pillow. Um, just, I mean, just look at this. Just open the table of contents for a second and just look at the way that this is organized. See, see, even the way that this hymnal is organized, it is a resource for the community that organizes their life around a different story. So you can see this Old Testament life and witness, and then we move into Advent, expectation, and then you see songs about Christ's life, his baptism, his miracles. You see songs about his passion his death, his resurrection, his ascension. You see songs about the gift of his spirit. You see songs about the Trinity, the hope of the second coming. And then you see songs about all of what we do every week in worship as we retell the story of the gospel week by week. I mean, this is amazing stuff. A, a, a community is always known by the, by the songs that it sings. A community is marked by the songs that it sings. Because singing does something amazing. Singing, what singing does, this is why the civil rights movement was fueled by song. Because what singing does is it connects the mind with the heart and the body. And you begin to feel this. You're not just thinking it. You're, you're feeling it. It's moving you. It's propelling you. A community is marked by the songs that it sings. And we want to sing songs about our story. We want to sing songs about Jesus and what he is, all that he has done and accomplished for us. So our song today is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. So open your hymnal to page 56, and I just want you to leave that open, and I'm going to read the scripture that this hymn is based on, um, and then we're going to sort of cross-reference it. So you can just leave both the scripture and the hymn open. You'll notice that this hymn, um, it has four verses. We sang, um, and we sang this actually in a different tune to open the service today. The third of you who didn't, weren't here for that service might have not heard, not, not heard that song. Uh, I'm, that's, I'm just teasing you. It's just a joke. I know you got stuff going on. Anyway, um, so yeah, we, we sing this um, here. You can see the tune at the bottom of the page. There's actually two tunes, and different tunes have names. Did you know that? So earlier, we sang this song to the tune that's called Hifridol. It's the one that goes da 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 at the end of the service, in the choir during communion, it's going to sing the same song to a different tune that's called Stuttgart. If I was German, I could say it well to you, but it's a different hymn. It goes dun 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 dun. So you see, every hymn even has different tunes, and so we're going to learn about all that. See, your mind is blown already 
Isn't that amazing? Okay, so I'm going um, to read God's word, and I want you to keep those words open as we go to God's word together. So first from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. And then from Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had to wait a really long time for something that you really wanted? Maybe a a birthday, maybe a husband, maybe a a college or job application, maybe a baby to be born, or a house to be renovated, or a letter, or an email from a friend, or a person that you love to return home, or maybe something a little more heavy like a diagnosis to come in. See, no matter who you are, or what your age, or what your education, or what your level of wealth, or what the degree of power that you hold in the world, There's one thing, one of the things that holds all humans in common is that we are bound by time and therefore we are people who have to wait. We have to wait. And oh, we hate waiting. Americans especially, we hate waiting. You know, we hate waiting in line for food. We hate the DMV. We we hate waiting for mail to come so much so that we now like demand two-day shipping and everything. Um, we, We hate for the movie to start. I mean, It's almost like as Americans, we have been trained to be impatient. That if something is not immediate, then something's wrong. If something is slow, we must make it more efficient. I was reading something about online shopping. You know, the majority of our shopping is now done online. And the average consumer will not wait more than 2.5 seconds for a page to load or else they will move on. We hate to wait. And yet, here is a season of Advent in which we are reminded that if you are a follower of Jesus, waiting is central to your identity. As Christians, waiting is what we are always doing. Waiting is part of who we are. And that's what this great hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, is about. This is a waiting song, a waiting song. Charles Wesley, the great British hymn writer, wrote this hymn in 1744, which, as an aside, is one of the reasons why hymns like this are so amazing. I mean, these days, if a Christian song that's written is played on the radio or played by a worship band in the church for more than a couple of years, is considered to be a great success. But here we have a song with 275 years of longevity. There's something beautiful, something powerful, something potent within this song that encapsulates our salvation and gives it to us in beautiful poetic form. 
Because more than anything else, this is a song about waiting, which is why in our new hymnal is the very first one in the section on Advent, because there is no better song to teach us about what it means to wait than this one. And so we're going to just look at this hymn through two lenses about waiting. The first is that in this hymn and other Advent hymns, we see that we look backward on those who waited. And then second, we look forward as those who wait. We look backward on those who waited, and we look forward as those who wait. That's what Advent is about, okay? So let's look at those two things together. First, we look backward on those who waited. Look at the hymn with me. This Advent hymn, as many Advent hymns do, put us in the shoes of the Israelites who are waiting for their coming Messiah and King. Wesley, actually, I read this week that Wesley was inspired to write this hymn by of all things, reading the minor prophet Haggai, which I'm sure you love to read all the time. Um, He was reading Haggai, and he came to this part in chapter 2, which inspired him to write this hymn. Now, who Haggai was is he was a prophet in the year 6, in the 6th century B.C., and you might know about Israel that after years and years of living in relative prosperity and happiness under King David and King Solomon, they descended into ruin under the rule of many rebellious kings, which resulted in God's judgment and then being carried into a terrible place called Babylon, where they lived for 70 years in exile. Finally, they returned from exile, but even after they returned, their land was in shambles. The temple, the place of God's dwelling, had been destroyed. They were living under the rule of the Persian king, a pagan king. They were suffering, they were in pain, they were in poverty. And so Haggai is in the line of all the great prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah who come to God's people when they are in a place of suffering and sorrow and exile, turmoil and pain. And he says to them, it will not always be like this. You will not always be captive. You will not always suffer. You will not always embrace, experience suffering and poverty. You will not always be in pain because God is promising to restore. He will shake the nations He will bring down your oppressor, and he will raise up a new Messiah, anointed one, the one who will come in the line of David, and he will finally mend all that is broken, restore all that is cursed, and right all that is wrong. And all the Old Testament saints waited and waited and waited for these great prophetic promises to be fulfilled. So you can see in Luke chapter 2 in our reading this morning that Simeon was one of those waiters. He was a man who waited. So you can see that Wesley in the verse 2 of our hymn calls Jesus Israel's strength and consolation. That's taken right from Luke 2 where it says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Luke chapter 2 verse 25. So, what, so he, along with Haggai and Isaiah and all the Old Testament saints of old, were waiting for the one who would come to set things right. So this hymn, along with other Advent hymns, puts us in the shoes of the ancient Israelites who were hung up to dry, dreams destroyed, hopes dashed. And he's inviting us to see that all of those hopes, all those longings, all those desires, all those dreams were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That the long-expected one came and that he was born a child and yet a king, that he came to set his people free. He is the long expected one, the one that the people of God waited for all of those years. And so the first thing that Advent does and hymns like this do is it invites us to put ourselves into the shoes of God's people to get in touch with their longings so that we might also get in touch with ours, our longings. And to see that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only one 
who fulfills the longings of every human heart, not just the hearts of the Israelites, but every man, every woman, every child that has ever lived and still lives on the planet today. He is the one we wait for. See that? So we look backward on those who waited when we sing these hymns. But that's not the only thing we're doing. We also look forward as those who wait. You know, Wesley, I mean, these hymn writers just blow my mind. Wesley was doing something fascinating here. He is not only putting us in the shoes of the Israelites, but he's also taking their story of waiting and he's making it our story. He is taking an ancient longing for the Messiah who would come and he's turning it into a present longing for the Messiah that is coming. I mean, just look at these verses and see the way that he's always toying with this incredible poetic language that mentions things that have already happened, but then things that have not yet been fulfilled. So he talks about uh, Israel's strength and consolation, which has already happened, but then he says, hope of all the earth thou art. And we know that the earth is still pretty in need of hope, right? He says, born to reign in us forever, something that is already happening. Jesus is reigning in his church. Yet he then also says, now thy gracious kingdom bring, that the kingdom of Jesus is not yet inaugurated. It is not yet on this earth. He says, by thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts, something that happens now, but by thine own sufficient merit, raise us, something that has not yet happened. He's playing with the already and the not yet. He's saying that Jesus has come, but he has not yet fully finished the work. There's still a whole lot of brokenness. There's still a whole lot of sadness and sorrow and a whole lot of pain. We are still waiting, he's saying. We're still waiting, just like the Israelites. We are waiting for the one who came to come again. Now, you don't need a hymn or even the scriptures to tell you, to show you that we're, that we're waiting for something. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you know we're waiting for something. I mean, just just look at our world, friends. You know, Wesley apparently was inspired, not just by reading Haggai, but he apparently had a very sensitive social conscience. Wesley was an abolitionist. He was, he was advocating against the West African slave trade that was very active in Great Britain at the time in the 18th century. He also um, had a passion for justice. He saw this huge gap between the rich and poor in British society, and he saw the plight of the many thousands of orphans that were living in the streets of London. And so when Wesley looked out on his world, his heart was shattered. And he cried out, oh, Jesus, the one who came, will you come again? Will you make things right? Come, thou long-expected Jesus. This was a man who was crying out on behalf of a, of a shattered world. And you can do that too. I mean, just look at the injustice. Look, look at the hundreds of children in our city who are set up for failure through no fault of their own, but simply by the place that they happen to be born. Look at the million, the thousands of children in our world who will die every day from treatable diseases. Do you know that every nine seconds, a child is kidnapped in India and made into a slave for life? Just this week, three families that I know received a fresh diagnosis of cancer. I mean, we are still waiting. Does anyone not question that? We are still waiting. And this hymn in the scriptures is based it's based on reminding us that we live in this unfinished world and that we wait for Jesus to come again, that the same one who came and was born to Mary lived, 
suffered for our sins, died, crucified, buried, rose up from the dead, ascended to the Father, and now sits at God's right hand and promised to come again and make all things right. And when he does, he will be the fulfillment of all of God's promises to finally make the earth whole. That he will take everything that is broken and mended. He will heal not just hearts, but geopolitical conflict. He will not just mend our wounds. He will literally mend our broken bodies, raising us up from the grave. He will not just touch humanity. He will heal even the plant and animal, the environmental creation, that when Jesus, the one who came, comes again, his kingdom will reign. And when we sing these songs, we sing of that king. We sing of the coming king. We look back on the king who came, but we anticipate that the king who came will come again. And so what is it, where does it leave us? It leaves us in a very strange place. This is yet another reason why followers of Jesus are strange. Because it means that we live in an in-between place. We live between the two advents of Jesus. Advent just means coming or arrival. And we live right in between the first coming of Jesus when he came as a baby and the second coming of Jesus when he will come as judge and king. As we say in the creed, he was born of the Virgin Mary, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And where we live is right between those two phrases. We live between the first and second advents of Jesus. As the theologians sometimes say, we live between the already and the not yet. What has, Jesus has already accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, what he has not yet fulfilled when he comes and restores creation. You know, I was trying to think of an analogy to help you with this. And because uh, so much of our lives is domestic these days, I'm, I'm, I was thinking about laundry. I think laundry can be a good parable for the kingdom of God. Um, so, so, when you, so I don't know if this happens to you, but when you, put your, you wash your laundry, you dry your laundry, you put the laundry in the baskets, and then you bring it up to the room, and then you just set it on the floor and you never do anything with it. You know, and it just piles up and piles up. I'm not saying that this happens in our house, <laughs> but I bet it does in yours. And, and to me, that is a parable of the kingdom of God, right? Like the laundry has been cleaned and dried, but it is not yet folded and put in the drawers. The kingdom has been inaugurated by Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. A whole lot has been accomplished, and yet it is not yet inaugurated. The finish is not yet there. And so we, it's, it's messy to live in a, in a place surrounded by clean laundry that is not yet folded and put away. It's complicated to live as a person in a world where you can rest in the finished work of Jesus, but the work of Jesus is not yet complete yet. That can make you feel dissonant. That can make you feel dislocated. That can make you feel like you are home, but not quite home. That you are comforted, but not yet fulfilled. Does it, like, like Bono's saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm there, but I'm not there. I know the rest and the comfort of Jesus, but I, I'm not yet fully in the kingdom. And that's where we live. Right there in the middle, we wait. So what might that mean for you and me? Let me just suggest a couple things for us this Advent. First, see that Jesus is the fulfillment of your longings. Advent reminds us of the ways that Jesus fulfilled the deep longings of the ancient people, and he not only fulfilled their longings, but he fulfills the longings of every human heart today. I just love this list of names that Wesley piles up poetically about Jesus. He is strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, dear desire of the nations, and my favorite, joy of every longing heart. Advent is a time for you to get in touch with your longings and to see that those longings are only fully and finally fulfilled in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Here's a question to ask yourself during Advent. 
What are you deeply longing for? What, what is your heart aching for? What, what do you daydream about? A, a better career? To be married? Maybe to have a, a healed marriage? Maybe to have a restoration with one of your kids? Or a restored friendship? Maybe better health? What do you long for? What do you ache for? Some of you might just have to admit it's just a lot more banal, like you just, you're really longing for a new iPhone, or better window treatments, or just some spare time to binge watch your favorite show. Look, here's what I mean. No matter how holy or banal your longings are, all of them are pointing to the great longing, the great hope. We are creatures of longing. This is why Carson McMullers titles her famous debut novel, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. We're creatures of longing, and yet so many of our longings are idolatrous, can become idolatrous. So many of the things that we long for are good, like marriage, fulfilling career, happy home. These are good things, but idolatry happens when we make a good thing into an ultimate thing. And we take something that is meant to be a gift to be enjoyed, and it becomes a source of hope that we desperately need. And it never works. It never works. This is why some of the most successful people in the world are some of the unhappiest people in the world. This is why we can live in the richest and most technologically advanced society on the planet and also live in a society that has the highest depression and suicide rates on the planet. This is why even when you are in a good marriage or even when you have great friendships, you can still go days feeling lonely, feeling unknown, unloved. Why? Because even when we get the things we long for, we're restless. And Advent reminds us that our longings are fulfilled in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Like like Wesley says at the end of verse 1, let us find our rest in thee. Many people think he was inspired to write that by Augustine's famous prayer. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Let us find our rest in thee. So Advent is a time for you to see that Jesus, the one that Israel longed for, is the one that you long for, that he is the great capital L longing behind your little L longings. He is the great capital H hope behind your little H hopes. Take all of your longings and bring them to God. Admit them to him. Say, this is what I really want, but I know that even if I get this thing, it will leave me restless. And say to God, let me find my rest in thee. Jesus, let me find my rest in thee. Would you see, would you ask God to say that Jesus alone would be the one that can save you, free you from fear, forgive you from sin, give your soul rest. Some of you maybe are religious, you come to church, but you've never let Jesus encounter you with the great hope that he wants to give you. Would you see that your restlessness can only ever be stilled in the person of Jesus? Trust in him. See that Jesus is the fulfillment of your longings. The other thing, though, on the flip side that we can do in Advent is that we can wait in hope for his coming again. Advent is a time we remember how unfinished our lives are, how broken and unfinished our world is. Advent is a time to get in touch with the pain and the longings and the sighing of our world and to remind ourselves that things are not as they should be and that we are still waiting. Now, we're not entirely comfortable with this as American Christians You know, there's a great tradition in American Christianity to sort of take the American dream and sort of mix it up together with the promises of the gospel and make some strange concoction that I'm not quite sure is true. 
and that we believe that if you're a Christian, you should always be happy and always rich and always joyful and always have your heart's desires fulfilled. In fact, one of the great bestsellers in um, uh, Christian American literature is still the book called Your Best Life Now, as if you can have all the things that you hoped and longed for right now in this present veil of tears, and it is a lie, my friends. All of Scripture speaks of groaning, waiting, longing, wasting away, not receiving what we're hoping for, being in a place of incompletion. The laundry is clean. It's not yet folded and put away. The kingdom has come. It's not yet inaugurated. We are still waiting. We're still waiting. And some of you have no problem embracing and believing this truth because you're like Myrna. You're you're in Africa and you're seeing the suffering and the pain of the world. Or you just faced a, a, a death of a loved one and you are feeling the groaning of your soul and the groaning of your creation, or you are dealing with chronic pain and you feel that dislocation of your own body every single day. Some of you have no problem knowing that we are waiting people. And I want you to hear that Advent is your season. Advent is your season. It's a season for you to know that that God sees you in your waiting. He sees you in your disconsolate heart and that he wants to meet you in that place of longing and give you his comfort and peace. And that you, in fact, may be more in touch with reality than many of us in the room. Because there's a whole lot of others of us in this room who are just coasting. Things are fine. You're just trying to raise your kids, make some money, go on some good vacations. And Advent says to us, wake up. Wake up from your slumber. Wake up and see that our world is broken and suffering and that the judge is standing at the door. Wake up to the fact that we are people who wait. We are never meant to feel completely at home in this world. We should always feel a sense of dislocation and incompletion in this veil of tears. And Advent is the time to remember that we are people who are waiting people, that we are always people who are waiting. How can you do that? Well, look, get in touch with the pain of the world. You know, there's people, you know, there's people in our church for whom the next few weeks are going to be terrible. And you know who some of those people are. Don't avoid them, don't be afraid. Go towards them. Be with them in this time of hardship. Look for the places of suffering and sorrow in our city, in our world. Go to places where there is pain, even in our city. Maybe try out a different grocery store or a coffee shop or somewhere in a part of the city that you go maybe take great pains to avoid or that our sheltered West End life tends to blind us from. Look for, go to the places of suffering and sorrow in our city. Engage in the work of justice. Learn about the plight of the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor. It will make you restless. And when you feel that restlessness in your heart, then pray. Use this hymn as a prayer. Note this strong imperative verbs that Wesley includes here. Come, release, let us find, bring, rule, raise. This is the cry of longing of a man who feels the brokenness of creation and longs for long-expected Jesus, to come. So turn this into a prayer. Let your hearts be restless. Ask for a longing for his coming. But to do this, you've got to slow down. You've got to resist the crazy frenziness and partying and all the stuff going on in the next few weeks. You've got to slow down. You've got to set aside some time for silence, repentance, and prayer. Get in touch with the longing in the world. Remember that you are a person who waits. So here at this table, we remember the two comings of Jesus. 
And you'll notice that as we read through our liturgy together. Notice that we speak of his first coming when Jesus came to live for us, die for us, rise for us, and set us free from sin and death. But notice also in the liturgy that we speak of his coming again. As we say, he will come in final victory and we feast together at his heavenly banquet. So as you come to this table, I invite you to come in the spirit of Advent, that you would find your longings met in Jesus Christ, and that you would let this table stir up a restless desire in you. Let this be the appetizer or the first taste of the feast of the kingdom of God that is to come, so that you would leave this place a person who is restlessly waiting and longing for the king, as we say, Maranatha, which means come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. And these are not silly little children's stories that we tell about a little baby in a manger, but that this is a, the story, the true story of the world, that the triune God entered into creation in the form of a man, that he lived and died for us, that he rose and ascended for us, and he promises to come again for us. And help us as we come to this table to remember these two comings, and that we would look back and praise you for all that you've done to die and live for us, and that we would look ahead to your coming again, and that we'd be people who wait. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. respond to God's word together now with the liturgy as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Family of God, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Holy and merciful God our Father, you have made us in your image and for yourself. You have made this good world for us to tend and to enjoy. God our Father, Hear the praise of grateful hearts. You sought your ancient people when they strayed from you. You freed them from the oppressor and brought them home. God, our Father. Hear the praise of grateful hearts. You have sent your Son to bring us home to you. By his incarnation. You have found us. By his death. You have forgiven us. By his resurrection. You have freed us. God, our Father. Hear the praise of grateful hearts. In union with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our great high priest, and with all who worship you, both in heaven and on earth, we offer you our praise, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Brothers and sisters, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper, he took the cup and he poured it out, saying, this is my blood that is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so now, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the death 
of our risen Lord until he comes again. Let's pray. Holy and merciful God, our Father, send down your Holy Spirit on our bread and wine that they may be for us the body and blood of Christ. And on your people, that we may be the body of Christ, reconciled to you and to each other by his blood. By your Holy Spirit, make us, let's say together, one with Christ, one with each other, and one in mission to all the world until Christ shall come in final victory and we feast together at his heavenly banquet. And so we cry, Maranatha. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Friends, the way that we eat this meal together here at 3rd is we'll invite you up to receive. There'll be two stations on either side of me and Rick um, with with someone holding the bread in the cup, and you just come up uh, when you're dismissed by the usher down the side aisle, rip a piece of bread from the loaf, dip it in the cup. There's also um, gluten-free wafers and individual cups up here if you need them, and I'll also be coming around. So if you're not able to come forward, um, you can just signal me, and I will serve you in your seat. There's also a station for you guys up there who are in the balcony. Who should come? All are invited, but we encourage you to come if you have recognized that you are without hope except for Jesus Christ, that you are a sinner deserving judgment except for Jesus Christ, that you, all of your longings will keep you restless except for Jesus Christ. And so if you can recognize that and say that, you are invited to this table to come and receive grace of Jesus by faith. Um, If you're not a Christian today, if you're not sure that you are, um, there are some prayers on page 12 that you can use to just think about and meditate on. You could even come up um, and just put your hands over your chest like this, and the person serving will pray for you. Or, listen, you can trust in Jesus today. You can come up, receive his grace. I mean, what better place to receive Jesus than at the table where we know he is by the power of the Holy Spirit to feed you by grace? So you can do that today and tell me that you did, and then we'll talk about baptism and what it means for you to take the next step in following him. So let's all uh, come to this table with joy, knowing that the Christ who came comes again. The kingdom that came is still coming, and that the one who loves us ever lives for us. And he comes to return to get us. Come to the table.